Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show, where I get the honor, the privilege of highlighting all my wonderful doctors who are doing amazing things inside and outside of clinical medicine. Now, if you've been thinking, hmm, can artificial intelligence help healthcare? I wonder how. Well, today's episode is for you because we have here an innovator. We have a an ER doc, which um wonderful profession. Like I'm not I'm not knocking all the other professions, but I'm just saying emergency medicine might just be one of the best. Uh, am I biased? Maybe. And the answer is yes. <laughs> So we have this wonderful doctor here today, and he's going to tell us all about his wonderful story and how he is using artificial intelligence to help healthcare. Now, he has this wonderful book out, too, if you have not gone to look or read it. It is out on Amazon. Now, this wonderful book is called Punish Medicine. The promise of artificial intelligence in healthcare. So let me bring him on in our wonderful fashion, right? So this wonderful doctor here, he is one of the board certified emergency medicine doctor. He's a researcher. He's an author. He's an innovator. He's a founder of Circa Therapeutics, where he uses a therapeutic device company using robotics, virtual reality, and gaming to help those with autism, right? He's also the founder of Innovator MD. He is the director and founder um, of the Institute and technical virtual accelerator, pardon me. He's also a pioneer and an award and innovator and a Morris F. Colleen Research Award from um, Kaiser Permanente. I mean, alrighty, so we have a researcher, we have an EM doc, we have an innovator. He also is an investor and in technology. He's an author. I mean, what else can we talk about, right? These are one and only Dr. Yuli Chedipali. <laughs> thank so, you thank you so much tamara for that great introduction <laughs> and, I, and i think i only probably got one fifth of probably all that you did <laughs> with all that we talk about i mean how many hours do you have in your day i have 24 <laughs> how many do you have <laughs> well you know emergency physicians you know they're working around the clock right <laughs> absolutely absolutely we, we figured out how to squeeze a couple more hours out so all right so dr yuli you know, you're doing so much. Before we get to where you are right now, let's bring it back to the beginning for those who are probably thinking like, wow, I can never be able to do all that he's doing. So bring us back to the beginning when you first decided that you wanted to get into medicine. Like how yes. old were you? What was going on at the time? Tell us how that happened. Yes. Uh, so uh, I grew up in India. Um, mm -hmm. My parents are, are Indian. Um, and in India, when you're growing up and when you're, you know, a, a hardworking, smart kid uh, mm -hmm. in the class, there are only two options <laughs> at, that, at that time. <laughs> you either become an engineer or a mm -hmm. doctor. Mm. So I was not that great at math. So I thought, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'll go into medicine. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I got into medicine. <laughs> so you decided to do the science. It's interesting that you're saying that, you know, you were on two sides of a coin. Because as I read, like, all like that you're doing, you said between doctor and engineer. Yeah. But I feel like you're doing both now. All right. So before yeah. we even get to where we are right now. <laughs> so you decided doctor, engineer was still on the side, right? You know, the thought process and so on. 
But then, yeah. like, you know, now we're here in the U.S. and, you know, you're board certified emergency medicine. Like, I didn't even talk about the fact you were like a medical director for, for many, many years. I mean, like, there's so much. So what made the interest in emergency medicine? How did you transition there? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, when I first came uh, to the U.S., you know, I was on a, a fellowship, uh, NIH fellowship, a research mm -hmm. fellowship, and I was working in an animal lab um, for a professor at UCLA, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I was working with sheep, um, and I wanted to get into surgery, uh, mm -hmm. and you know, I did have some training there back in India, mm -hmm. but um, you know, my mentor said, "Hey, you know." surgery is going to take a long time, you know, to, mm -hmm. to get through the residency. And, and if, if you want to do any specialty, you know, I like plastic surgery, I said, um, mm -hmm. but that's going to take forever, man. You know, why don't you try emergency medicine? <laughs> <laughs> because, because, you know, he was, you get both hands. Yeah. You're yeah. still using your hands. You're still, exactly. I mean, people come with lacerations to their faces. And one of the things that, you know, are even not, only to their faces, but of course, all of their bodies. Yes. But the ones to their face are usually a little bit more concerned, especially exactly. if you have a pediatric patient, oh, you know, yeah. a kid that has a, yeah, mom and dad are always concerned, it's gonna leave a scar. Like, you know, how can we, so yes, I can see how the skill set still applied. So that that was the best decision I made, I think, in my career. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a great specialty because, mm -hmm. you know, you get to do many things. And, mm -hmm. and that's one of the, you know, uh, things you see in my uh, career is that I've tried many things uh, because uh, I think in general, you know, emergency physicians are a different breed uh, of people. That's true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They want. They are not scared of anything, and they, you know, they want to, you know, take problems head on and, and try to solve them and, and solve them quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, thinking on your feet and also uh, expecting, expecting the unexpected, right? Absolutely. You're not, you're not worried about what's gonna, you know, come through the door. Um, and so that's that's one of the skills that you develop, you know, as you practice emergency medicine is that. How do you take on life as it as it throws all these uh, curveballs at you? Absolutely, I think it should be called emergency medicine. Why not try this? <laughs> because that's kind of our like. Well, all of these aren't working. Why yeah. Not? Why don't we just try this one? You know, like you're right. It's innovative. You're thinking on your feet, and a lot of times you're really thinking on your feet. You're under high pressure. You might have tried all the standard ways, but then you're pulling from all parts of your mind and all your experiences inside and outside the emergency room, right? Because exactly. the body is its similar to a, a lot of appliances. The body is similar to, you know, it's flows or pipes or flows. So if you've figured out how to do something somewhere else, you can probably finagle it and be able to help that patient when all else fails. You know, yeah. you're really just pulling in and you're right. It's being innovative, which is what you do. Yeah, you got to, you got to be. Otherwise, you know, it's hard to survive in this field, right? Absolutely. Alrighty. So, you know, you're there, you've decided emergency medicine. I'm going to use up all my skills, you know, things that I've learned, plastics and all the other skills that, and now I'm in this high pressure environment. Hmm. Then now you're moving on to, you know, this 
realm where you're starting to use what I say now, the same engineering field that you thought that you weren't going to do, and you're starting to merge it into medicine. Like, you know, you're like, I have this interest in technology and merging it to medicine. When did you start finding that part of the inkling? And then when did you start to notice, you know what? Wow, this is something that I really like. And then move from like to love. And I can use this to help others. Tell us about that part of the story. Sure. Um, also, while, you know, just before, you know, I said uh, talking about a fellowship and, mm -hmm. and with that fellowship comes with the, the MPH. You know, I did mm -hmm. a master's in public health at uh, UCLA. Um, and that gave me a little bit of taste for, you know, population health. You know, how do you look mm -hmm. at you know, uh, disease in a population, disease right. in in, in, a, in a specific geographic area. So I had that little background in the, at the back of my head, mm -hmm. uh, which means that when I first started my you know, first job at uh, uh, Kaiser in uh, South San Francisco, uh, immediately that gave me credibility uh, and I was placed on the administration track, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I was the assistant chief and then I became the chairman of the department. Uh, one of the things that I was not very happy or not excited about is managing, you know, day-to-day -day things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wanted to, you know, do something big, something interesting, something, you know, crucial or, or you know, something that that creates a, a legacy, right? Absolutely. And so I was looking for that and, uh, you know, um, and, and there was an opportunity where I could take a sabbatical. Mm. And I took a, a year sabbatical uh, and did a startup. Um, actually, this was during the dot-com boom times, mm -hmm. uh, 99, 2000. Um, and it was so exciting. And, you know, I, you know, we raised some money, got a team together, built a product. Everything was growing, going great. And we had some pilots set up. Um, and then the market crashed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, you know, there was nothing, you know, we went to raise our second round and then nobody would give you the money and when it's a down market. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so I went back after that one year of experience, went back to my job and, and started reevaluating my career. Hmm. Um, that's when I made the switch from, you know, being in the administration to get into research. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in the next few years, uh, what happened was that the EHRs came in and, you know, we were all, you know, in about four or five years, we became fully paperless. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I started thinking about, you know, all this data is being collected and, and it's, it's sitting in the EHRs. You know, yes. What, <laughs> what can we do with that? <laughs> right. Every click. Yes, absolutely. In, in the in the EHR. So that's when I started thinking about, you know, how can we use this data to benefit the patient, benefit mm -hmm. the doctor, mm -hmm. and overall benefit the system, right? Um, and that's that's when I I co-founded a group called Crest Network. And the idea behind Crest Network was that, you know, you bring in emergency physicians who mm -hmm. are interested in research and help them with projects, create a, 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 a um, an infrastructure for mm -hmm. them to be able to do it. And so I was the technology lead for the group because I had some experience with technology in the startup. Um, 
And um, so my claim to fame is, you know, I built <laughs> platform <laughs> that that sits on top of uh, the EHR, mm -hmm. pulls data from EHR, analyzes it, and provides decision support to the emergency physician mm. in real time at the point of care. So oh, in real time. So this is not retroactive data. Oh, retroactive with the but the decision support is real time. The decision support is real time. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Okay. I'll, you I'll know, you know, you've piqued my interest. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example. On, on yes. How it works. So let's say a patient with uh, chest pain, you know, which is very common, you know, 10% mm -hmm. of patients have chest pain, in the, you know, when you look at the emergency department population, a person with chest pain walks in. Mm -hmm. And the doctor starts, you know, assessing, you know, is this, you know, something serious? Is this a heart attack? And, you know, they're doing the workup. And while doing the workup, they can click a button inside of the EHR mm -hmm. that, takes it, that, that takes them to our application inside the, mm -hmm. the EHR. What the application does is that looks at about 100,000 patients that came before this patient mm -hmm. with the same complaint. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have categorized these 100,000 patients based on their risk, based on right. how they fared, you know, in the in the system, what happened to them in the emergency, what happened to them in the hospital, what happened when they go home, when they go mm -hmm. home. And so we were able to risk stratify this particular patient, compare them with something similar mm -hmm. based on about 30 variables. Right. So you can exactly pinpoint the risk for this patient having a heart attack in the next seven days. And we relay that information to the physician. That so, is, that is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's because we have, now I know those of you guys who are in, um, in emergency medicine, if you're listening and you're not in medicine, you're like, why is Dr. Beckford geeking out? Like. <laughs> I am actually geeking out right now because as I think about this, one of the challenge that happens in medicine is that you're doing your best and you're hoping that you have provided the best care and that the patient will have the best outcome, you know? So we have a lot of tools that, you know, we're clicking and it says, well, this person fits into five, you know, category this or, you know, or like your heart scores and things of that sort. But when you can actually add that to a demographic data for, you know, overall to give you that, that likelihood and you can add that to your medical gestalt, you know, what you feel about that person, you know, it, it really adds a layer of comfort because what, what the challenge with medicine is that when there's an emotional side to medicine, you know, so once you take care of the patient, there's an emotional attachment that you have, which is hard to let go of. And that attachment follows you because you're questioning yourself. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, when you, when you think about a lot of physicians um, and the sequelae of, did I do the right thing? That's, those are some of the precursors that adds to the stress and the burnout and the mental toil that occurs. So when you can add a layer that helps to reduce some of that. Exactly, that's exactly. So 
what happens is, you know, when, when physicians treat, you know, they're, they are going back in their memory bank, maybe 100 patients, maybe 200, mm-hmm. 500 patients in their, you know, here you have 100,000 experience of 100,000 patients. Mm-hmm. And, and these are patients that in that from that area, and they're not from Massachusetts or somewhere or Australia. So it's so it's so it's, so it's location it's local local population. Wow, which so, is even more impressive. Yeah, because you know all populations are not the same. You know exactly. Most of the research happens. You know it, it can happen anywhere in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So we translate that research into our practice, which you know to a large extent it's good because we have something. Right. But what if you have the research from your population? Absolutely. Because each, each area, each geography has, has different risk factors, different, you know, um, things. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is you're really fine tuning mm-hmm. that research on the fly. Yes. At the point of care. So, so it'll say, you know, uh, the, the system will come back with an answer saying that, the chances of this person having a heart attack in the next seven days is 0.003 percent. So mm-hmm. you should do A, B, and C. You know, stop, mm-hmm. stop all testing. There's no need for admission. Send the patient home and have them follow up with their primary. With their primary, yeah. So in order to say that, you know, you need a lot of confidence, right? Absolutely. Without and- that, without having that data to support your gestalt. You need yeah. a lot of confidence. And so, and, and we had to prove that the system works. So what we mm-hmm. did was we ran clinical trials. We mm. said, okay, 10 ERs will follow the system. The mm-hmm. other 11 ERs will be controls. And then mm-hmm. we did a clinical trial for about one and a half year. And we found that where the system was active and people were using it, they had better outcomes than the ones that are not using it. Wow. And so, you know, so most of the things that that people have concerns about technology is that, you know, does it really work? Yes. And we had to prove it that Mm -hmm. it actually works through a, you know, a clinical trial where you compare, you know, intervention sites with with, uh, non-intervention sites. And the risk was lower of bad outcomes. Mm -hmm. The the length of stay was shorter, Mm -hmm. the risks were lower. And there were no bad outcomes compared to the, uh, the control sites. And so it's a win-win-win situation. For the, pay, for the physician, it is mm-hmm. what you said. It's the peace of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go home at night, you're not worried about that patient you sent home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or are you getting a, a letter from the QA people? Hey, why did you admit this patient? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, you know? Yes. Or get get chewed by the cardiologist, you know. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> and you yeah. know, or that that just the email alone can sometimes just a quick question that brings on the anxiety. So to be yeah. able to, to reduce that, you know, before you even open the email, yeah. you know, so and, and wow. then we, we tend to you know, overcorrect for that, right? You know, if Absolutely. there's a bad outcome, you're trying to do go this then, side. Then you, yeah. You or you become too cocky and, you know, oh, I did great with this. And so, and it's a very uh, scary situation. So I, what I call it is is the cognitive burden. 
Yes. Which means that you have to think so much about all the consequences. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have some data that backs you up what you're mm -hmm. doing and which is working in, in real life and, and mm -hmm. there is evidence for that, mm -hmm. that's a great relief. Um, you can actually, you know, argue with, uh, you know, anybody who says, hey, you know, hey, I followed this protocol. I had this evidence. I have mm -hmm. this. So I've done the right thing. So it's hard to, uh, even if there's a bad outcome, it's hard to argue against that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and it also adds to what we talk about to the peace of mind, because if there's a bad outcome, we know that the person has done everything, everything, everything. and you yourself as the physician, you know, you've done everything and, you know, so it will help to bring you peace a little bit faster. Not that you'll ever be, I mean, none of us ever wants to lose a patient. Yeah. You know, especially in a situation where it's like you, it's completely out of your control. But to yeah. know that you've done everything might help to ease that mental burden, like you said, yeah. that, you know, we have at the end of the day when we're trying to get go to sleep that night after that shift, which is exactly. sometimes can be challenging. And so Our, we, we did yeah. that and we built uh, several modules on top of it, because once we saw the success of one mm -hmm. or two, mm -hmm. built several modules and we published about a hundred papers out of that work. Um, and, you know, there are right now 14, 15 physician scientists working in that space, uh, using that platform to mm -hmm. generate more studies and, and create, you know, better outcomes for patients. That is fantastic work. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you. And your, your, your physician colleagues, um, you know, in this space, that's just really, really brilliant. So you said that that is one, one of the start was that, well, that is now the second bug because your first bug was that bit you into the technology space. You took your sabbatical, you went into the, um, you know, did something in the dot-com era, got the understanding of how the dot-com and bubble when it bursts downturn and recession, you know, being able to raise funds become a little bit more challenging at that time. So now you've gone into this um, technology-driven portion where you're using information to help with the decision-making skill and reduce the cognitive burden for those of us in emergency medicine. So now, you know, that was the Crest um, program that you did. So now you went from that. And then wh where was your next step afterwards? And so when I saw the power of that, you know, mm -hmm. power of changing practice for the better mm -hmm. of the patient, the physician, and of course, the organization, the organization will, you know, will be happy because, you know, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a value-based care model. And so you don't want to miss out anything, but also mm -hmm. you don't want to overdo things. Right. Uh, and so that was a perfect situation. <clears throat> and then I start thinking about, you know, how can I propagate this, um, how, one of the one of the key things I found was that 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 I realized is that it is the physicians that need to take the lead in these things because mm -hmm. a technologist cannot come and do this do, do this kind of work right right yeah they might have great brilliant ideas and you know but to apply it to apply the it. space <laughs> and 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 uh, you know make sure that your colleagues which is the physicians will actually mm -hmm. use it right yes and have trust in it and have yeah. uh, and the person having the credibility to actually implement something like this um, mm -hmm. so that's, that's a long shot 
right? So Absolutely. You, so if you are a physician and also using technology, that's that solves that narrows that gap a little bit mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. now you're using science what they're used to. Now you're using clinical trials that they understand, mm -hmm. and you can actually show the evidence that it works. And so that's the kind of buy-in you need um, to be able to implement something at at a, at, a, at a scale like this. And then I started thinking, you know, how many physicians are lucky enough as I was? where they have an idea and they can actually implement it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, of course, you know, it was not a walk in the park for me, you know, you know. I yeah, no, you had to to definitely demonstrate it. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, uh, appear before 13 different committees and mm -hmm. argue that, hey, this is something worth trying and create that research program and, and apply for grants. And all of that is, you know, takes years and years of work. You know, to Absolutely. be able to do it. You know, that the technology piece took only six months to develop, right? <laughs> wow. All this preparation took about six years. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, you know, most physicians don't have that. And so I, I was thinking about that area. And, you know, I worked with Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. We started the program here in, uh, in San Francisco Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Realized that this is, this is what is going to save healthcare. Mm. physicians get into you know this innovation and entrepreneurship field mm -hmm. and so how can i support it right so when i took early retirement uh, about four years ago that's what i started innovator md mm -hmm. uh, my company what we do is we teach innovation we have conferences actually I, we have a conference coming up next week and i welcome you to to join us there um, yes. where we bring all the top physician minds who are working on difficult, difficult problems and mm -hmm. how can we support them? How can we, and people who are, you know, just now figure this thing out. Um, hey, you know, I cannot do this uh, mechanical thing where I'm billing for, you know, these procedures, billing for this, billing for this. And it's like running on a treadmill and mm -hmm. Somebody else is controlling the buttons on that treadmill, I say. Right. It's kind of how much you get paid for each. So you run faster and faster and faster. Yes. Uh, and you get burnt out. But, you know, we as physicians are skilled in, in, in solving tough problems. Mm -hmm. And we've had a lot of patients and we have delayed our gratification for so long, you know, to go through the medical school and the training and all of that. Mm -hmm. so we potentially can be very good innovators and entrepreneurs. Absolutely. We just don't have the knowledge of how this thing works. We may not have the time to actually do it. We may not have the connections mm -hmm. that we need to be able to do it and the platform. And that's what I created with Innovator MD. And we are the largest uh, physician innovation platform where innovators can come and talk about their things. And mm -hmm. we connect them. It's a nice community of uh, physicians and other supporters uh, who are interested in this uh, innovation. I love it. It's given me all the warm and fuzzies inside that's <laughs> because um, there are a couple of reasons. Now, as a physician, as you mentioned, you know, you've given some great reasons as to why, you know, physicians make great entrepreneurs and, inter and innovators. And it's important that we recognize that because for so long, 
we have followed this path to get to where we want to be, right? You've done the studying, the long days and nights of studying, a lot of the delayed gratification, as you mentioned, and then we've gotten to this path and now you're a doctor. And we felt like that was the end. I've yeah. now accomplished it. It's over. But then there's always, for some, a void that you still have inside, like, like you know, more, and which is so interesting because we have a um, like a couple of physician entrepreneurs um, in on the 17th of January of this is 2023 of uh, this recording, we're dropping a book of physician entrepreneurs and the name of the book is Made for More because we recognize that we were made for more. Even though we are physicians, you know, there's more within us than just being a doctor. So when you introduce yourself, you no longer said, oh, I'm just a such and such. No, you are that and, you know, so all the skill sets that they're to, to really focus, to be able to pivot, to, to come up with innovative ideas are all part of the skill set that made us get to the point of being physicians. But we forget about it because we get so tunnel visioned, right? Exactly. And we think that, oh, this is the only thing that I can do. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. And, and so you, you get boxed in, you, you know, mm -hmm. you get into this narrow tunnel and you can't get out. And, you know, you know, most physicians, you know, you know, especially in other specialties, emergency medicine is, is broad enough. Yes. But, you know, there there may be some specialties that, you know, 80 percent of the cases that see is the same case mm -hmm. for the last 10, 20 years. And so what 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 happens is you, your brain, the part of the brain that you're using it becomes smaller and smaller because you know you you already yeah, know yeah it. it's you, you subspecialize into a subspecialized part of the brain like you're just narrow and then a lot of your other talents and and creative ideas and 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 then the part of the parts of the brain that you're not using mm -hmm. and so i think that's a big waste of uh brain power mm -hmm. because you know you could be doing something that nobody else thought of because you have you know obviously you know, to become a physician, you have to be a, a smart person to start Absolutely. with, right? Mm -hmm. And you have all these qualities. And uh, I'm sure there are a ton of brilliant ideas that, that are just sitting, sitting yes. in people's brains and not being brought out, mm -hmm. you know? And obviously you don't have to do everything, right? You no. can be you can be the person that gives the idea and, you know, and shapes that uh, that process. But mm -hmm. there could be, you know, you could have a team of people that that are working with you, mm -hmm. be a part of a, a startup or part of a, a project, where you are providing the domain knowledge and and the idea knowledge, right? Uh, and the other people will help you implement it. Uh, Absolutely. And, and and the humanity, you know, is missing out on that because mm -hmm. there may be something really simple and really bright or really smart that you know we're not able to bring it to the world because you didn't you didn't take that first step. Right. And the first step is one to, I think a lot of us, as we get into the physician space, you're there in the spaces of a physician and then the fear because our training, <laughs> I say this all the time. I love, you know, my physician, I love our colleagues and I love this, like, you know, what we are, you know, in society, but our training is based on a lot of fear. 
and which is what like a lot no it is which is what your your first technology you know is helping with is the fear of i can't get this wrong but then yeah. in entrepreneurship it allows you that freedom to explore <laughs> so you do not have to get it right the first time you know right. and i think that that that's a huge part of what makes it so challenging for physicians to jump from the space of um, medicine into entrepreneurship and innovators because one either they overthink and overanalyze before they make that um, leap and then they end up in analysis paralysis because you know I need to get it right before. And it's just like, no, we can try to get it right along the way. <laughs> along. Yeah. So that's that's another thing. A lot of physicians mm -hmm. think that think that they have to stop everything that they're doing and then do this. Mm -hmm. that, that's not the case. That that's not needed. Yeah. You know, you can try different things on the side. Um, yes. and then, you know, test things out and, and learn about it. And then, you know, as it grows, maybe you can make the switch, but mm -hmm. you don't need to you know, close your shop and jump into <laughs> something, you know, I, I would not recommend that to, for anybody uh, Absolutely. for that matter, because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you need to make sure, you know, your bills are paid and your family is taken care of. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's important, like you said, along the way that, you know, you can merge these two together, but just start, yeah. just start, because a lot of people have ideas. I, I mean, if you're like, me every time you shower you come up with five more ideas doesn't mean that you have to act on all of them but it yeah. shows that that part of the brain is working it's still active you know you haven't um put it in the graveyard like what you know miles monroe said like you know the most brilliant ideas are in a graveyard and people yeah. never acted upon them right exactly. <laughs> so we don't want you to not be able to give this world that your greatest ideas and solving some of the most challenging problems because as you're working you've probably come up with a ton of ideas on how to solve some problems out there exactly. so you know you can provide it like you said in in your innovative um innovation md help and help someone else to solve yeah. some of these wonderful yeah, problems exactly or or uh, you know yeah you, so you can contribute as a you know idea generator you can mm -hmm. contribute as a mentor you can mm. contribute as uh, as an expert, uh, mm -hmm. you know, domain expert, where you're saying, "Hey, you know, so, so some of the some of the ideas that entrepreneurs come up with, mm -hmm. a physician can tell within five seconds if it's going to work or not." <laughs> <laughs> I I think physicians have that sense, you know, that sixth sense that can, that mm -hmm. can you know, this is not going to work. Yes, I, I'm not going to use this in my practice, so it's right. Not you know, so they right. they can give you quick feedback on on what's going to work, and so you can become an expert, mm -hmm. you can become a part time chief medical officer or, or mm -hmm. a consultant. Uh, you know, all of those things can be done while you're still practicing, Absolutely. and that is important. You know, because you want to make sure that you know you are trying and testing, and it, and if it grows big, mm -hmm. yeah, you can make the jump. Um, but the first thing is to learn about it, and so mm -hmm. we have weekly master classes from people that that have been there done that mm -hmm. and, and, and and different areas uh, we do meetups we do conferences uh, and um, you know we also have an accelerator you know we partnered with founder institute mm -hmm. we started a health tech accelerator which means mm -hmm. that 
if you have ideas in health technology, you can they can actually walk you through mm-hmm. fourteen week uh, uh, session where you learn from idea to a company. Wow! Whatever you want to do with that idea. So we have we basically we created all the tools and the platform mm-hmm. for to come up with something and then take it to fruition. Um, I love it. I I love it. And I can think of tons of my physician colleagues who would probably benefit from what you're describing right now. So now I wanted to talk about this wonderful thing, Circa. Sure. So Circa, wow. (laughs) Using virtual reality, video gaming, you know, the all these innovative tools to help with autism. How did that idea come about? Because I mean, right now, a lot of times people are thinking of these tools. They're not thinking of the gaming as tools, but just as recreational, like, you know, recreational ideas. Oh, I'm just doing this for fun. But there's so many parts to it. And interestingly, I thought about like when my brother, my brother and I are many, many years apart. And when he was born, he was a preemie. So when he was in um, starting kindergarten, his dexterity, his skills, you know, the the fine motor skills weren't really there. And do you know what I did? I bought him a video game (laughs) in order to have him learn these fine motor skills. And now his skills are like excellent. And he's actually in med school. So he might be part of your innovator soon. But needless to say, (laughs) go ahead and tell me, like, what is it that that brought that to light? Okay. So, uh, Several things coincided. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, well, the first thing is, um, number one, I I never wanted to be a you know a one solution type of mm-hmm. person, a one startup kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do at Innovator MD is I see about 150 200 startups a year mm-hmm. that come through the you know pipeline, and out of those, I pick 40 or 50 of them to come present at my meetings. Right. And so, you know, the idea is to get some feedback from from the physicians and others in the community and mm-hmm. also give them a platform where they can showcase, you know, their ideas and, and their projects. Um, and out of those 40 or 50 of them, I pick one or two mm-hmm. projects or companies to work with. Mm-hmm. And how do I work? You know, I become an advisor or I become you know, a part time CMO chief mm-hmm. medical officer, or I, I invest as an angel investor. So mm-hmm. it is small money, mm-hmm. but, you know, that is something where, uh, you know, you give to the company because you want to encourage them. And and, and so the types of companies I, I look for is something that blows your mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like what just happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, Wow, you know, is this possible? Uh, and imagine if this is really possible. You know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. The second thing I look for is: is the team good? You know, mm. if, are these people? And obviously, they have to be smart people. That if they have come up for, for, for you know, with that idea and, and they're working on it, right? Smart. Mm-hmm. That's that understood. But all the, are they nice people to work with? Are they yeah. fun people to work with? Because you, know, you need to have that connection. So mm-hmm. when I see that kind of a company, I, I offer my services, you know, I, you know, investment or otherwise time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like that, I've, I've done seven or eight companies and, 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 they, and luckily they're all doing well. 
Right. Uh, so there was this one company that came uh, to us. It's called, the name of the company is Torque 3. Mm-hmm. And they were building this machine. And I got really intrigued. And this machine is for uh, stroke rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So they are building this device. It's a robotic device um, that looks like an exercise machine, basically. Mm-hmm. But as your is like a recumbent bicycle, uh, stationary bike. Mm-hmm. And so as you're pedaling, you're also wearing VR goggles. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a video game playing. And you are placed inside the video game. Mm-hmm. So basically, what you're doing, you're actually playing the game while you're riding. That means you're riding in a new environment. It's a mm-hmm. virtual environment, you know, a forest or a, or a beach or something, and where you're actually enjoying the ride. Right. And then you slowly the the path becomes more difficult navigating, and you're steering with your arms. And you can dial up the resistance up and down. Mm-hmm. And you're actually exercising. Right. So you, you sit on this machine for about 10 minutes and you start sweating because you're so engrossed in, in this environment. So you forget about reality totally. You, yes. Um, you know, we call that embodiment where mm-hmm. you, you're actually inside the game and you're interacting with the elements in the game. So that what it what it does is number one it takes you into deep immersion mm-hmm. and then you create these challenges because it is a game you can create the game number one mm-hmm. and because this is a robot it can assist you like let's say if you're weak in the left leg it mm-hmm. can your left leg and so you forget that you have a disability mm-hmm. you forget that your leg is weak because of stroke and so you you start using your brain and 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 that deep immersion what it creates is it creates an environment for neuroplasticity yes the hypothesis you know where you're creating new neural pathways and that's how you recover from stroke and so they were building this and then they're still you know building it mm-hmm. last year what happened was you know they were releasing their first prototype and I have a daughter with autism, and that's mm-hmm. my, family, you know, mm-hmm. where, where the, that mission and passion comes together. And I always wanted to do something in this in the autism space, but it was so complex and so difficult for me to figure this thing out. You know, I was thinking maybe in the AI space, but mm-hmm. this, you know, opened up a window uh, where I know that for my daughter, you know, she is uh, minimally verbal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's another thing that we're working on uh, that's mm-hmm. going to be amazing. Um, but she made some amazing progress because she was doing certain exercises. And, uh-huh. and she does a lot of different things, you know, mm-hmm. weightlifting, boxing, basketball, horse riding, and different things. But then I figured, what if we can put all of those things into this machine? You know, you know, Granted that, you know, we, you know, we have the resources to be able to hire six different coaches for her right. to be able to do that. But, you know, not everybody has access to those or are or, or, or able to do that. Right. Correct. Put everything into a video game and, and, and offer it to people. And so that was the idea. 
And so when uh, I took her and she tried the machine, and that's the video that's uh, on on YouTube, mm -hmm. Circo Therapeutic video demo video, and she really loved it. And I asked her, "Do you want to do it again?" And she said, "Yes." And that was the first time she ever. Wow. And that's when it clicked to me. Okay, we need to build something for autism that is similar. And so I I went to the team and asked them, hey, you know, what do you think about autism? And they said, yeah, mm -hmm. it, 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 will, it, it, it will work. Uh, it might work. Um, and they said, can I license this technology? And so that's what I did. I licensed the technology, the mm -hmm. hardware, everything, the, the, the VR piece and the video game piece. And now we are, we spun off another company, Circa Therapeutics, to be able to develop games and programs for people with autism. Wow. That is, you know, it's an amazing work. And, you know, as we think about, when we're even talking about neuroplasticity, <laughs> even that alone is neuroplasticity in that you're innovated and you're being able to bring ideas. My father always tell me that. Let me tell you, I can tell you this with 100% certainty right now, that my dad is going to love this interview for a couple of reasons. He always uh -huh. says ideas breed ideas. So when you, you know, as you saw um, with the space, with the rehabilitation space, which is something that he mentioned to me actually three weeks ago for one uh, my aunt yeah she had a stroke an aneurysm and she herself you know she is now having to do the rehabilitation um she's in canada and the same thing he said i wonder if we can get her one of those virtual reality classes and so i'm listening to you like oh wow this is exactly yeah you know for patients you know therapy becomes the best part of the day when you have something so much fun to yes. do and they're totally motivated yes now here's the beauty of it mm -hmm. now since this is a robot it is tracking every single movement that mm -hmm. you're doing every single action how much pressure you're putting on which joint which limb and you know if you're weaker it assists you but it all that data is coming you know thousands of data points mm -hmm. in each session and so you can really fine tune the program based on how, what kind of progress you're making. Yes, that's what's going through my mind as I'm listening to this in that the robot is gathering data. So you are weakened this particular muscle, but then as you start, as that muscle is being engaged in a fun way, because you don't realize that that muscle is being engaged and now it's starting to develop the robot can start to slowly reduce its aid to that muscle, yeah. but the person is not realizing it. Yeah. They, but the data is is collecting, saying that you're, you've actually improved 2%, 3 4%, because that's not something that we can process. That we, we cannot track that, right? You know, it, it's a, you know, what we have right now is very crude. And, mm -hmm. and, and here's, here's the kicker. What if you have 100 patients Mm -hmm. and you're collecting data, data and you're figuring out, oh, with this kind of a disability or with this kind of a deficit, this kind of a program works Absolutely. and these people are making faster progress. And so, mm -hmm. so you can use that. That's where machine learning and artificial intelligence comes in. You know, it's yes. that data 
and how do you how do you tie that the program to the progress that the person is making mm-hmm. and improve the program with time yes right so you're learning continuously learning you know from these several hundred thousand patients mm-hmm. and then soon you become you can create the most um uh, precise program for that person based on mm-hmm. all this data that you've collected and that's where i'm going with this the same thing for for autism you right. know you can figure out what are the things that actually make them progress faster you know, mm-hmm. whether it's cognitive things whether it is speech and language whether it is socialization whether it is sleep uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of kids have whether it is aggressive behavior and so you know video games generally kick in those good hormones and and, and so does exercise right so right. it becomes a nice cycle of endorphins and and and, and so you are creating this self-propelling thing and we are our hypothesis is that that'll decrease the aggressive behaviors mm-hmm. that improve sleep that'll improve focus and and uh, improve their behavior so we are really you know uh, uh, excited about this uh, technology and I'm excited <laughs> I'm sitting here I'm excited for all the prospects and and for all that for all who are out there that feels as if especially those um families you know who have um mem- family members with autism that felt like i've tried everything nothing's working you know that mom we see sometimes the mom who comes in or the dad who comes into the er and you know it's okay when the kid might be like five or six but now the kid is 18 19 it's larger and you know aggressive yes aggressive because of just the challenges um with you know autism itself that that particular um child or individual is dealing with and then the family members are feeling like i have no hope and you know but then to find something that can really help to stimulate and to help with the even the day-to-day life of that person and then there's a there's a point where there's an improvement yeah. you know i can i cannot imagine the side of relief that these families will have at the you know knowing that something's out there and something's being built even at this point yeah yeah it's being Maybe. built to help yeah and, and and the ultimate goal is to have a machine you know light enough small enough to have it in their own home right and be able to use you know what happens with uh, with people with autism is that as they get older mm-hmm. their world start to shrink mm. because you know imagine you know taking a an 18 year old to a restaurant you know you don't yes. want attention you don't want those behaviors you don't want sometimes you know you don't know how they'll behave and so you stop going to restaurants yes because it needs one more person you know what if the parent is older and aging and so they need another person so they need mm-hmm. two people and so ultimately what happens is you know their world becomes smaller and smaller and and well, they'll just stay in their room sit in front of tv and 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 eat ah. and so that kind of cycle is very dangerous um, mm-hmm. because they start gaining weight and yes to depression and and there's it's a very sad situation wow you know, 
Amazing. Amazing what you're using these technologies to really help in, in these specific targeted ways within medicine and within healthcare, period. I'm just fascinated by this, which means that I could probably sit and talk to you forever and ever. However, <laughs> we are gonna <laughs> we are gonna have to um you know bring this to a close soon. I see oh, we have I know because I'm sitting here just just my mind is is just really just on talking about that treadmill. That's what's going on in my mind right now of a lot of ideas. Alrighty. So uh, we have um, Kenesha Graves. Hi, Kenesha. Welcome. Welcome to this wonderful interview. Alrighty. So, you know, we've talked about Sirica Therapeutics. Um, you know, now we're going to really just bring it back to you as we're he he um, heading to the closing of this wonderful interview. So what are you doing, Dr. Yuli, in order to provide care and wellness for yourself because i mean your brain is going a mile per minute as much as mine is i cannot imagine what's going on in your mind with all the ideas and you know being here and your cmo and you're helping your founding members and you're really mentoring a lot of these um young innovators especially those in medicine so what are you doing for self-care in order to reduce and to prevent burnout yes so the first thing i did was you know Obviously, you know, the, the pandemic really had a, a major effect on our mental health and our physical yes. health also, right? So the first thing I did was I, I uh, rented a space in, in an office building with a mm -hmm. gym inside the building. Mm. And, and so every time I finish a meeting, I go down there 10, 15 minutes, work out, and then come back and start the next meeting. So. That's that's one thing. And also this building is next to a nice uh, walk along the bay. Mm. So, you know, when the weather is good, you know, I go out there and do my meetings, walking meetings uh, outside. Yes. So that's a good way to, you know, introduce these things. And uh, I also heard that it really stimulates the mind and creates ideas, walking meetings. Yes. So. I made sure that the environment is is right for those things, and of course, you know, family is great. You know, we have you know two boys and and our daughter Siri. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, ah! I forgot to tell you. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Her name is Siri, and uh, they did a documentary about her life. Uh, ah. The documentary is showed in uh, you know World uh, Health Film Festival in London. And we're going to release that soon in the U.S. Uh, probably in February. And the name Hence of Sirica. And the name, yeah. And the name of the documentary is uh, "My Name Is Siri," and mm -hmm. it's going to be uh, broadcast on PBS soon. Wonderful. Well, keep us posted so that we can let you know those who are listening know. Wow, amazing. Go ahead, Siri. She's a star. <laughs> She is, she is. I love it. I love it. Alrighty. So now here's one of my fun questions of the day. And I ask this question to everyone who my interview. So if you weren't a doctor or an innovator or any anything in the technology space, what would you be? This is the imagination portion now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, no innovation. Okay. Then nope. I, I would be a you know what I love is uh, uh, I will I, I would be a contractor renovating buildings. Ah, interesting. I love that. You know how you know we are doing some renovation and said, oh, I I would love doing this. You know, designing the kitchen and mm -hmm. the bathroom and 
you know, moving the doors and things like that. Love it. Love it. Love it. You're my first contractor. <laughs> I have a couple of internal designers and I do have um, someone that um, structural engineer and wanted to do urban planning. So, yeah. so I always think so. I always love asking these questions because it really goes deep into our minds. As to some, you know, we've had some dancers. Too. <laughs> the second thing I would do is music. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And we've had some singers. Love it. Love it. So contractors. So I always think about, all right, I'm putting my team together in my mind. So we have a contractor, <laughs> the urban planner, and then we've had some people some who are florists. So then after we'll beautify the place with the interior decorators and our florists. Love it. And we have the garden gardeners and stuff. So, so we have this beautiful space of, and all our physicians who are using their imagination and building this wonderful utopia so far. <laughs> Love it, love it, love it. So now before we end this wonderful interview, I do want you to let those who are watching and those who are listening, where they can find you, Dr. Yuli, where they can find and be a part of your Innovator MD, or also if they wanted to um, learn more about Circa Therapeutics, everything. Tell us where can they find you? Well, the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, type in my name and not many people have my name, so it's easy to find me. <laughs> yeah. I am in the San Francisco Bay Area. So mm -hmm. here, just give me a call, send me a text and uh, we can meet up. Uh, the websites are innovatormd.com. And mm -hmm. the next week we have the conference. So please do join the conference 11th, 12th and 13th. Mm -hmm. If you're in town, we have a reception on the 13th. So come on by. Um, you know, you can sign up on the website innovatormd.com. Circa Therapeutics, uh, definitely, if you have a, a, a relative or a child or anybody who wants to try this machine, it's a good mm -hmm. idea to sign up on our sign-up list because we'll be starting our uh, uh, clinical testing probably in March. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are collecting people who may be interested in doing that. So circatherapeutics.com is love where it. you can find us. Love it, love it, love it. So if you are a family who has a family member with autism, you want to test out this new technology that is coming out, go to circatherapeutics.com, put yourself on the waiting list. If you're a physician innovator, you have you came up with a great idea, or you know you can, or you want to mentor someone, then you go to ourinnovatormd.com, right? For if you like, I cannot remember how and where, don't not worry, just go and find Dr. Yuli on our LinkedIn, right? So just go to his LinkedIn profile. That's Dr. Yuli Chedipali. And like he says, once you type in U-L-I, you'll find him. <laughs> you'll definitely find Dr. Chedipali. And you know, this was a fascinating interview. I loved every moment of this. And I definitely know that I will be keeping in contact with you because like minds, you know, like I said, iron sharpens iron, right? So okay. it's good to really keep in contact. Um, for those of you guys who are watching, thank you guys for watching. If you're listening, thank you for listening. If you are a physician and you're like, I have something really great and I want to tell the world about it. Hey, I welcome you onto the show. Just go ahead and send me an email at drbeckford at yourcaringdocs.com. That's drbeckford, yourcaringdocs.com. U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. And just tell me that you want to book and we'll send you the info to do so. Do keep in mind, we are booked um, three months in advance because there's just so many great physicians out there looking like 
just like Dr. Yuli here, doing so many amazing things. If you are coming in to the end of the show and you're like, oh my God, I didn't get all that info, have no fear. You can find Dr. Yuli Chetapati's wonderful interview on our Your Caring Docs website. That's U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S dot com. Hit podcast and you'll see his name. Hit listen here and then you'll be able to really listen to the entire interview. This is one that you want to listen to from beginning to end. It is that good, that good. I love this fascinating life that you have created for yourself. And it's good to know that you're not just a physician. You are a physician and an innovator and, you know, wonderful, wonderful person who's helping to change medicine with the technology space. So like also, for those of you guys who are really into this, do not forget that Dr. Chedipati also has a book, Punish the Medicine, The Promise Sorry. of the Artificial Intelligence on Sorry, Punish the Machine. Oh, pff, wow. How did I? <laughs> <laughs> Punish the Machine. How did I talk about the medicine? Thank you for... Thank you for correcting me. No <laughs> punish the medicine. Oh, dear. I. Anyway, punish the machine, the promise of artificial intelligence in healthcare. And that's exactly what you're doing now, using this information to improve our healthcare system. Thank you so much for stopping by. Do you have any last words for those of us here? Uh, for all those physicians, I know you're doing great with your patient care, but uh, do something that will leave a legacy in this that's world. Cool. Uh, so whatever that is. Absolutely. I love it. Legacy building. And you know what? It, it feels so good to do yes. that. It yes. really, really fills that void. And, and thank you, Tamara, for all the work that you're doing, you know, bringing these amazing positions. I love it. And um, thank you for having me on, on your show. My pleasure. My pleasure. All righty, guys. Thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.